Welcome back, everybody, to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. Kevin Miner coming at you with the intro again as Matt Pfeiffer's life has been minted on the blockchain. He has achieved his digital godhood. Uh, but seriously, he's been so entrenched in Web3 work that I think he actually might only exist there now. Regardless, when we all catch up to him and exist in Web3 space, I'm sure he'll only be waiting there with ones and zero arms. I, I think it's ones and zeros. It might be ones, zeros, and twos. Maybe that's why it's Web3, because there's three bits. Of, regardless, um, he'll be waiting there with what I can only assume will be a bite-sized and bit-sized coffee that he will explain to us tastes faintly like blueberries and apricots, as he does enjoy those flavors in his tea-like coffees. Um, <laughs> Although he did one time report to me that he enjoyed teriyaki in a coffee tasting that we were a part of. Uh, we have a special conversation coming to you this week. It's Andrew Michael Wells of Idola, and we couldn't be more excited to have him back on the podcast. This is the two-year anniversary from the first time that we had him on the podcast. Uh, in that time, he's become an official member of Dance Gavin Dance. His band Idola has released The Architect, an awesome new album. And it has received, I would say, critical success. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, can't, I can't even begin to explain all the awesome things going on for our good friend. Uh, so I'll let him do it. Here's the interview. Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. Across from me is the host, Matthew Pfeiffer. I'm Kevin Miner. And our guest today is a returning guest, Andrew Michael Wells from Idola. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Dude, thanks for coming back. Welcome Let's back. Uh, for anybody who hasn't listened to the first episode that you were on, uh, you're the singer of Idola. Uh, how else would you like to be introduced in this format, sir? Um, this, I mean, that's that's a pretty good social indicator. I am also now the uh, second guitar player of Dance Gavin Dance officially. So, um, that's, that's that's another. So, cool. yeah. so yep, just uh, signed the contract a little bit ago and working through that. So, rock on, that's man! Amazing, yeah, yeah, right. Ke Kevin, Kevin showed me. I probably said this to you in the first episode, but it's been so long. I'd probably just rehash it. Kevin showed me Dance Gavin Dance in two thousand ten or nine. Yeah, around there. And downtown you know, Battle downtown Mountain Battle Mountain two two. Nice. two? Yep. Yep. Two. And just you know, immediately had a huge appreciation for the writing, for the composition, the whole thing. I mean, it really just checked all the boxes, and I've been. I've been a, a fan ever since. Not as aggressively a fan as Kevin Miner, but always, <laughs> always a lover, for sure. Well, I mean, I would actually okay. Let's 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 get into like I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to bring up <laughs> when when you were coming back on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before I even got here, let's jump right into it. Uh, you guys released the Architect when you first came on. We were talking about releasing the Architect. It's mm -hmm. out in the world now. People have had a chance to listen to it, and the response has been awesome absolutely yeah it's been yeah absolutely phenomenal i mean <laughs> 
just genuinely surprising in a lot of ways. I mean, we 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 were confident in the music. I mean, when we, even when we were making it and we were recording it, even when we had to sit on it, um, a good indicator for us was like we had to sit on it so long for legal purposes and COVID and like all these setbacks, and then. Uh, like a, a lot of times, I mean, it's not true for everyone, obviously, but I think a lot of artists, they, they'll, they'll be in the moment and they'll put something out. And then six months to a year later, they'll look back and be like, okay, that was good. But there's like all these things I could have improved on. And I listened to that record frequently for like the year and a half it was on hold and it still held up. And so I was like, okay, I think this is going to do, this is going to, this is definitely going to speak to a lot of people and we were very fortunate to see that it did incredibly well i mean it was our highest selling highest streamed highest charting um we we ended up out charting some people some bands that we grew up listening to we ended up out selling a lot of these bands that we were just like wait what we like yeah. i grew up listening to that band that's fucking crazy like our our the guy the guy basically runs rise record sean haydorn he, he texts me and is like did you see these fucking charts like you guys are out selling this band and this band i was like oh, fine. <laughs> yeah. all right okay well, well then you know we can stick with it for a while and see see what happens so yeah man i i would say uh this record it probably built your fan base in a way that as a longtime fan of yours, I haven't seen before, you know, like this was the album that really, I think, you know, with the backing that you've had for it, once it got released and like just the, the notoriety that you guys had gained over the years from touring and really cutting your teeth in the music industry, there was a lot of momentum to be carried out of this thing. And really it hit people hard. Like, I think a lot of people, it, it was like, you know, like when you see like a bright, light flash somewhere you're like wait what mm-hmm. what is that yeah it was actually james our bass player james showed this to me i had no idea but there's like an analytics page on a couple of these different uh platforms like spotify where we could actually mm-hmm. like we could quantify how big the jumps were each time that we put out a record how, how many more people were listening how many more people were engaging with the music and it, i mean the architect it was astronomical i mean the boost that we saw we put out dgen in 2015 we put out to speak to listen two years later and there was like a there was a it, we doubled essentially in size but when you look at that doubling compared to what happened with the architect it's fucking it's just mind-blowing how how much more exponential that growth was and for i mean a lot of that was intentional from my part like a couple of the critiques that we'd received from industry people you know people in the music industry was like you guys got a cool concept, but your song titles are too long. Or, you know, you got some fucking, you're using hey. some weird terminology here. This is some fucking weird shit. Um, Tell that to Fallout Boy. I okay? know, right? <laughs> you know, Don't like, talk to me about long titles. <laughs> yeah. They, so, you know, that like some of the critiques were like, you know, if you want to reach a larger audience in this type of show, subgenre that you really love to play, here are a couple ways to streamline that. Here are a couple of ways that you might be a little more effective in communicating that message. And so we tried to kind of, um, what's a good word, consolidate certain things, certain themes that might have been a little bit uh, hard to digest at first. And, you know, song titles that were really confusing in pronunciation. And we tried to make it a little more, yeah, a little more streamlined for like your average listener, like somebody who doesn't want to deep dive into a you know 5,000 page book they just want something that they can enjoy in the moment and then the the trick of that was 
how do you balance that with like our core fan base, the core fan base that wants to look into it, that wants to dive into these concepts and these references and like, you know, dive into the narrative and, um, and look at the, the art from a multitude of perspectives. And so that was kind of the fine line that we tried to balance. I, I think we pulled it off pretty well. I, I would say it got universal acclaim, like very positive response from everybody. I think that the couple people that didn't like it as much were like our, really old school like degenerate Terra fans where they want this like raw um they they want it to kind of be confusing or or a little more hardcore or not as polished not as streamlined and, and i i get that uh, but it's just not really where creatively we wanted to take the band and at that moment uh but i think the, those fans will be really excited for the new record that we've been writing so i think uh, <laughs> ah. i think it'll be it'll be a good balance just to continue with the band and see what happens and see what we can deliver artistically so I have two questions that come to mind. The, the first one is uh, strategically, as you were sitting on the record, trying to figure out when you were going to release it, delaying it, you know, uh, I'm assuming a few times because of COVID. Um, just talk us through how you were feeling about that, what the, you know, what the mindset was going into that and when you felt like it was the right time to release as COVID extended far beyond any of us expected it it was fucked man (laughs) i'm just gonna be straight up with you guys it was really fucked um because we're we're not a social media band i think anybody that's followed us for a while knows that like i'm not on social media at all the band doesn't really do a lot of of like social commentary stuff we the primarily just because that's not we don't like engaging in that personally and it's also it for us it cheapens the brand of what we are trying to the message of what we're trying to say, which is more about human connectivity. And I think that that's genuinely more experienced offline personally, just in my experience. So I think we just being consistent with that conviction, we don't really do a lot of like, Hey guys, we're fucking, you remember this tour we did, or you remember that music video we put out four years ago? Like, let's pump that again. It's like, if we don't have something new to put out, we're not going to fucking put out anything. That's just how we roll. Like if we're not going to, we're not going to just milk for likes and algorithms and all this other bullshit. This is not how we run. So we, we, we want the content that's put out to be something that's new. Like, and that's hard to balance in the industry because the industry wants to make money. So they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, when's the next shirt design you guys are putting out? It's like, well, we haven't put out any new songs. It's like, well, we put out six shirts. It's like, well, fuck. All right. So we got to balance that. Right. Um, so that, that's its own. Yeah. That's its own challenge. And so at the moment it was so frustrating because it was on, like, we got it done. We had this rollout plan. We had a tour planned. We had, you know, artwork was done. We had all these submissions for uh, vinyl and all this stuff that we had planned and then COVID hit and everybody pretty much went on pause obviously everybody in every sector you could possibly imagine and in music it was particularly fucked because you have like insurance companies competing with uh, agencies that run your promoters and, and and you know you got Live Nation that has a hand in it and so there's a lot of complex moving parts between labels and booking agents and there's a lot of people in the industry that it, it's very volatile when you shut the whole thing down. And so yeah. to, to add to that, we were like, okay, well, do we just put it out and see if it just, you know, gets buried because no one, everyone's focused on this pandemic. Everyone's focused on staying safe and, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what this even is. I mean, at, at that point in time, it was really hard to, to try to game plan or even know what we were going to do. So we took it, 
you know, kind of one day at a time. We took it one one day, one week, one month at a time. And as we started to to discuss what that could look like releasing during COVID, Rise Records decided to buy Blue Swan Records. So we were like, okay, well, that's cool for us. We'd love to work with Rise. We're, I'm a, you know, Sean and I are, are friends and, and they've done great stuff with us with Dance Gamma Dance and a lot of other bands I really enjoyed listening to growing up. And we were excited to work with them, but what ended up happening was because because of COVID, a lot of these bigger labels ended up buying some of the bigger independent labels. Like major labels started to buy up independent labels, and then independent labels started to buy up like full indie labels, you know, like DIY start type labels. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a consolidation. And Sony BMG was like acquiring Rise at the time, and Rise was acquiring Blue Swan. So as you can imagine, like 15 lawyers are just fucking swamped for months on end trying to figure out, okay, you know, what are the, what do these contracts look like? How do we, you know, how do we deal, deal with all of the legal paperwork to really um, make sure everybody you know, gets, gets a good deal, make sure everybody's happy and the transition goes smoothly. So, um, that definitely delayed things exponentially longer than we had anticipated. I think we probably would have released during COVID, even without a tour, if um, if we knew how long it was going to be. I, I genuinely think we probably would have done that at the time. But it was basically Blue Swan telling us, hey, let's wait it out. Let's wait it out. It's going to come out on Rise. It's going to be great. And we are really grateful we did do that just because of how how great the, the final product turned out so um but yeah at the time very frustrating we're like okay well when you know do we got paperwork do we got a deal done we were like 10 months in and then it was like okay well the label deal's done now we got to work out the artist deal and i was like oh fuck me oh my god this is gonna fucking take my whole life i'm gonna be 35 (laughs) before my fucking next record comes out so um that was yeah that was that was a a bit frustrating and then again for our fans i can only imagine just because we're we're not on socials. We're not like talking and being like, Hey, wait it out. You know, we're not, we, we don't tease. That's the thing. We don't fucking like to tease rise love to do that shit. They, they they love to troll. <laughs> and so it was like, it worked out with memes and all this other stuff. We're very, very grateful for our fans for being patient and just, uh, and also understanding that like that wasn't our decision or really our fault at the end of the day, but it turned out great because rise really had a hand in making it, uh, a more elevated experience, just funding some of the music videos we did. I mean, we didn't even know if we were going to get a third video. And then they were like, let's do the John song. Let's do the song with John. Yeah, we're like, cool okay, cool. Yeah. And we're like, okay, cool. And they're like, can you fly to Sacramento? John's there. Like, let's just get this dude from, um, you know, from, from Vegas. He's going to film half of it in Vegas. And then you guys are going to go to, you know, Sacramento and film the other half. And we're like, okay, mm-hmm. sounds, sounds cool. And John was fucking... John was great. Very, I love working with John. I've worked with him seven years. He's he's always a, a pleasure to work with. So, um, yeah. him in the video is just hilarious. He was <laughs> he was a ton a ton of fun, and the video turned out awesome. So, um, we're we're really happy with how everything went. But yeah, to answer your initial question, during COVID, fucking sucked, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it was sure. not cool. Dude, definitely. I, John definitely he adds. Um, he's got his own spice, you know. Like if you're looking at a spice rack, he, his is a very unique flavor that he adds to things. 
For sure. With like paprika it is. or what's Oh, it's way more unique than paprika. That's like a yeah. <laughs> that's like a par it's like a parmesan truffle. It's something Ooh. or other, you know. It's like yeah. it's got yeah. it's good. It's got a flavor. Not everybody likes it, but the people that do, it's pretty fucking good. So Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, it was it it was really cool to see that because it it definitely it created a, a, an establishment of artistic difference. Like it really, mm -hmm. it showed where he fits into that song, Mutual Fear. And like, he did a great job writing on that with you guys, but also it, it showed like this outside element, you know, and it, it helped to get the point of the song across a little more, I think too, that yeah. schizophrenic feel that he adds to that music video. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we we did make a like when Rise was originally talking to us about it, about the video, we're like, well, we've got a really cool idea for Empty Gardens, which is like my favorite song on the record. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, it's uh, it's my favorite. And I had a really fucking badass music video idea for it. Um, but they were they were into it. They're like, this is like a twenty thousand dollar music video idea, though. <laughs> so I was like, oh. ah, fuck, OK. Well, what are your other, you know, your other options? What are your choices? And they said, well, we want to do the John song. Um, we want to do Mutual Fear. We think it would go over really well. We just with your your partnership with DGD. And I said, well, the one caveat to that is we will absolutely one thousand percent not do the video if John's not in it. That would be mega lame. It would yeah. be so stupid. It's like. Oh, here's the song with John Mess. He's not even in it. And it's like, they were like, well, what if we animated him? I was like, go fuck yourself. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, Backpedaling a little bit and uh, getting into, uh, you, you mentioned how, you know, on this album you had, you had condensed some of the song names and you had, you'd made your, um, you'd made your material a little bit appro more approachable for a wider audience. What was what was that process like as you're going through these songs that still are very dense in meaning and trying to find ways to convey these complex themes and lessons that are actually coming through in the choruses and the bridges of the songs for a wider audience? It was definitely a challenge. I think that for me, I just tried to not take it too seriously just being self-aware about the the genre and the subgenre. like mm -hmm. I, you know i know that i'm not competing to have a you know a platinum album that rivals adele or ed sheeran or <laughs> justin bieber like i know that i'm not competing in that market so i know that i don't need to go overboard with how can i make this as simple as humanly possible it was just more of trying to take a look at it from a broader perspective and say, okay, well, what, what things have been confusing for people in the past? And one thing that consistently came up was the album title. Like we have an album called Degeneratera, which if you read it and you spell it out, you can say that very, very easily. And so you, if you looked in the concept, you can say that too. Not harping on anybody, but I've had some meet and greets where people just butcher the name. And so I'm like, okay, so these, the, the people that just want to listen to music, they don't want to fucking pronounce a seven syllable title um you know and we have the back catalog to provide that to them if they want to go back and look for it we have yeah. the titles and, and and everything like that so balancing it on the architect was more about okay how can we really still convey a message how can we use certain literary themes how can we use just in the name like the adjective verb or the you know the adjective noun style of the two word names throughout the whole thing we did mm -hmm. um a lot of a lot of just 
collaborating on some of the lyrical concepts and some of the titles just to make sure it was something that ev- pretty much everybody could really digest and but still being aware that it's a, a niche subgenre right it's still yeah. in the metalcore post hardcore vein it's not you know it's not Justin Bieber so we we could be <laughs> we could still we could still have some integrity to some bite to the actual the actual concepts and the actual music yeah. Um, you know, without trying to make it like a sellout thing. We just wanted to make it a little, little more digestible for a, a wider audience. I think for me, conceptually, you look at that from like a philosophy standpoint, you could have the best idea in the world that could, you know, like help everyone simultaneously. But if you can't communicate it properly and it just becomes this big grandiose thing, it, it's going to be harder to get people on board with it. So I think for us, it was just kind of being mindful of that. Do you think that that had uh, a large effect on why this record was so wildly successful compared to previous records, or, or are there other aspects of the record slash the moment that we're living in that made this kind of hit a little harder? I do. I think it was a combination of factors, personally. I think that simplifying it definitely helped it achieve a much wider appeal. I think that... Uh, streamlining the artwork, making like making an iconic. Um, I mean, we didn't make it; we bought the rights to it. But it, it's an iconic photo that we just fell in love with. That we, you know, we reached out to Dan, who makes those masks, and we got permission and, and bought the photo itself from the photographer. And um, I think that played a role. I think the label obviously kind of you know helped to elevate it and market it and have the PR behind it correctly. And then, yeah, I think a, a good component is the time that we're living in and. Some of the meme culture that played a role in it where Rise was just trolling people and they were making hundreds of memes. I mean, there's definitely something to be said for marketing virality. Um, yeah, I love that, man. We're, we're in like, we really are in like a meme culture. I mean, we've been in a meme culture for a long time, but it has... It it's accelerated, been, yeah. Yeah, it's always been kind of like one layer deeper. You know, your mom wasn't bringing up memes in 2009, 2010. Hell now no. your mom is like pulling memes up on her phone and being like, check this out. My mom? My mom. Oh, your mom. I'm just, oh. yeah, I should have just said my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my mom. Your mom, mom Kevin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sorry, my dog was fucking. Oh, was oh buddy! He sits and stares out the balcony, and anytime he sees like a husky or something, he just fucking he just gets Loses into <laughs> he just gets into attack mode. He's Everybody's like, safe, dude. We're on the third floor. Oh. Um, sorry, can you re- can you repeat? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, just kind of touching a little bit on that sort of like this meme culture that we or this like moment in time where where memes are relevant. Um, mm-hmm ways in which to market i wanted to know just tell us a little bit about how the the record label was was using those because i i'm not aware of of that that i so i'll tell you like the the general gist of what like what happened but i I will also tell you like i don't i don't participate in those things i don't facilitate those things so like for me i had no fucking clue this was happening until (laughs) until people were blowing up my fucking email about it um (laughs) I had zero idea. It, it basically, what happened was there was some there was some teasing about the record going on. It had already been so long. It was so none of us were into it. We're like, why the fuck would you say anything? Just wait it out until you're gonna put our record out, and then we'll then we'll put it out. And they somebody tweeted at them, and they were just like, yo, fuck Rise Records, like put this record out. 
And they, they said something, if I recall correctly, it was like, um, you know, if you give us a hundred or a thousand decent memes, they said a, th- a thousand or 10,000, I can't remember the exact number. Wow. Um, you give us a thousand decent memes of Idola and we'll put the record out. And they, they thought the fans wouldn't give a shit. They're like, oh, this band's small, no one's going to care. And they, those fuckers did it. They, they went and did, they hashtag spammed them. They made a thousand different memes, over a thousand different memes. There's a guy named Ryan who, I think he works on the Demo Team podcast. Forgive me if that's incorrect, but I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, he kind of led the charge. There's a, a Facebook group called Temple Posting. Um, that's like an idola. It's like an idola fan group. That's awesome. They they all kind of banded together and started just riffing these memes about me and the band. And um, I mean, they were hilarious, dude. That a lot of them were really really good. Um, we all enjoyed that aspect of it. And then yeah. Rise Rise didn't give them fucking anything, and we're like, uh, God, oh. God damn it! All right, well, well, we'll make it up to them. So if you're a person who didn't get anything, you made a bunch of memes. Come see us at a show. We'll fucking we'll take care of you. We'll make, we'll make sure you get something. Yeah, dude. for real. I bet that virality had a, a you know something to do with more eyes on your band in general. A Absolutely, of, a lot of people yeah. market that way now. Yeah, it's that is true. I don't know if I like that or not. I'm not yeah. really one to say. I try just not to think about it and just make music that I like. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, cons, you know. Yep. So I that's you know that's I'm glad we have a label because that that's who that's how they deal with it. It's like I'm gonna I'll give you I'll be the artist. I'll make songs if you you know I can collaborate on some of the artistic vision or like where I want it, the visual to be, but. Yeah. This is once it's out of my hands, you guys do what you want with it. Like you yeah. guys, you guys make the posts, you guys do your thing. So, and then you know this the album came out, and I think I think the standout first single that got released was Perennial Philosophy. And you were saying that like some of your long, long time fans that were really in from like the Glass Elephant and Degeneratera or uh, Degenatura. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh no like degenteras when i get <laughs> yeah um the your longtime fans who are obviously more immersed in like a metalcore culture you're saying that there's there's a little bit of i don't want to call it backlash but they probably were just like oh yeah that's not my favorite because it was a ballad like song but you know you guys have always had a blues and then also like a a classical approach to music when you're mm-hmm. writing and a lot of people don't get to see the writing process and how these songs come into form. So, I mean, if, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of like a curtain glimpse, what what was the process behind writing a song like Perennial Philosophy that sticks out as more of a ballad and something that has been a little more unique from Idola? So, I, I mean, I always try to do at least one of those songs on every record because that's I, I enjoy listening to those types of songs. I enjoy a good singer-songwriter, very personal, emotional, um, something that has a lot of a lot of different layers sonically, has some different motifs in there. And so I've always tried to incorporate at least one ballad-style song on every record. So with D-Gen, it was Humble. With uh, To Speak, it was Low Tie. And then with this record, it was Perennial Philosophy, which was less, even less on kind of the bluesy ballad side, more of just like a straight-up rock song, you know, kind of, kind of like a, just a a more vibey type of rock song. And so writing that, it it was, I mean, it's just kind of, kind of like writing everything for the record. Like I'll, I'll come up with a concept for the record. I'll start coming up with, uh, and how, how it plays into previous records. And then I'll listen to our discography and I'll think of like, okay, well, 
here's some things I feel like we did really well. Here's some things I think we could improve on. And here's some things I think we could leave behind, things that we could kind of grow out of. And so I try to embellish on some of that on each record. So I try to, like Mutual Fear was definitely an embellishment on more of the metal core side, more of the heavy, deep, drop tune, chaotic type of composition. And Perennial was just, from day one, I, I came up with that drum beat and my drummer, he's like a death metal fan. He's like a big into just like prog metal, death metal, mm-hmm. post metal. He fucking does not like pop music. <laughs> I love pop music. So like for him, I come up with this, he's like, what the fuck is this dude? Like, where, give me, <laughs> give me a blast beat. I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> This it's ain't the, the place. Easiest song for him to play on the record. The Jonas Sur- Brothers, dude, come on. Surprisingly, no. Surprisingly, I think really? it was one of the hardest. I think he would he would agree with me in that statement that it was probably one of the hardest. Just because, again, he's not really he's a metal drummer. He's not really like he is very oh, talented. Yeah. That doesn't diminish his ability at all. He's a fantastic drummer, but metal is his preference. And so when it comes to like pocket grooves in four, he's like he's like working at. 11 you know it's like the songs at like a four and he's like on 11 he's like what fill what ghost note can i put here that will make the fill this way and you're just like motherfucker just play the four four beat and we'll just do yeah just play the beat let the vocals croon let's fucking go and so it's just so yeah um but that's all i i I still i love that song it's uh it's just awesome. Even the demos of it when we originally wrote it, we were demoing the Sergio down in Vegas, and yep. uh, we knew it was going to be a really cool, impactful song. It was definitely uh, personal for me, and, and um, did did really well. I think it was a great standout single, and still, still. Uh, the what really hit home for me with that song was going out on the tour with Dance Gavin Dance, where I was doing two sets a night. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was doing these fill-ins and all this other shit, all the crazy chaos that was the first tour back from COVID. <laughs> And I remember we would do perennial philosophy every night and every night I just, I wanted to see what kind of crowd interaction that I, I can get. I mean, Kevin, you've seen me a number of times live. Like I, I, I try to work a room. I try to engage the audience. And so one, I, I would, I'd had my hand up in the air, just going back and forth. And I wanted to see how many people in these two, 3000 cap rooms would participate. And it blew me away how many people, you know, would participate and were vibing out and having a good time. And then singing the chorus looking out in the audience and watching the album had been out like a it was out on the tour right yeah album's out like a week or two at this point and people are singing every word of these songs and it's like okay i think we're i think we might be on to something here so yeah it's an amazing feeling yeah yeah it's really uh, cool you know we were talking about how um how the drums had to be dialed back on that was there was there a particular moment in writing this album where you found that you had to maybe dial yourself back um actually i don't think so yeah i think with this one it was uh well no yeah i think maybe a little bit it was just (laughs) it's hard it's hard to say because of where my head i'm thinking about myself right now where like the stuff that i'm writing is just so it's so beyond heavy and and like anything i've ever written and it's i i didn't stop myself at all there was no reservation i just went fucking full blown but I try to do that with every record. It's just with the new stuff, it's like that's where my headspace is. With the architect, the headspace is more how do we, you know, how do we have a continuance of Idola? How do we take these things that we really like about it and improve upon them and uh, and still make it more streamlined? So I, I think, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think there were a couple moments where maybe I wanted to do like a prog song or something that was like, oh, I want to throw in a bunch of mathy stuff. And I, I held myself back from that because 
A, that's not really like what I've been listening to a lot the past few years, and B, I think for this record, it just didn't really serve the the intention. Yeah. So. As a as a preamble to the eventual question we get to when we uh, ask you what your jam is currently, since you're since you're mentioning it, what are you listening to uh, a lot lately? You said you're you're actually a, a fan of some pop and like what what kinds of stuff are you listening to on, on a day to day basis? Um, I mean, for me, it's it's always interesting when I'm writing because I tend to become so like engrossed in the project I'm working on that I tune out a lot of things. I, I end up kind of lacking on listening to or exploring new music because if I'm working on a track for three, four hours and I'm doing guitar and bass and vocals and I'm programming drums, at the end of the day, the last thing I really want to do is is listen to music. I want to listen to like a podcast like you guys or, you know, I want to listen to somebody like a commentator or a, or an ebook. Uh, Kevin just sent me, so he's going to send me some some books um, just so I can I can get caught up on some cool stuff and get some new reading done. But um, at, when I do get to listen to music lately, so I, the new Justin Bieber record I thought was awesome. Justice, that, that ended up being really, yeah. I, I love the productional elements of it. I love uh, Justin's voice sounds immaculate. Um, just a really really great record i think um there's a there's a, sm- a smaller band called johnny booth that i've been listening to lately and they're fucking oh, stop it stop dude it. wait oh you guys know johnny booth they're from new dude. york dude we dude. know johnny booth I just... i'm i'm trying to get them signed right now dude stop <laughs> it <shit. laughs> yeah dude i stop fucking it. love oh that my band God. yeah dude I, I used to play shows with them, Dude, and I shit. just sat down with them in stacks where you and I, where we're gonna grab coffee when you're. That's in town. amazing, Dude. So well, funny. next time you see them, tell them I fucking love their music. I don't know if they give a I'm shit about what I do, but. Podcast. <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> yeah, gonna... just send it to. Them. Um, yeah, yeah our, twelve. They're gonna laugh. They're gonna our laugh. our manager, our manager, fucking, he showed me while we were filming these latest DGD videos. He. Yeah. He pulled him up and he was like, yo, check out this band, Johnny Booth. And I was like, okay. And he played me asymmetrical. Yeah. And I was just like, holy ball. Their drummer's fucked. He's so good, dude. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> I was like, this is mind blowing, dude. I, I turned to Will and I was like, you sign these motherfuckers right now. Dude, dude if that they're is not, so if they're, if they're not signed, you pick them up because these guys are fucking crazy. No, they're not. They, I'm trying, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no, fucking they, yeah. trying. Um, there's gonna, a couple, there's a couple homies bands I'm really trying to push. There's a shout out to my homies in, there's a band called Pulses, uh, oh, cool. that's out, out, you know, Virginia way. And they're, they're awesome. Making great music. Really, really innovative. Um, there's another band called, uh, they used to be called Glow. Now they're called Water Culture. Um, oh. it's a friend of mine named Ryan. He's out from, I think he's in like North Carolina area, that that's kind cool. of, that kind of, that kind of zone. So great bands. I mean, up and coming talent. I was pretty pessimistic for a couple of years on whether or not people just in the culture and considering where rock music is and, and the viability of it financially and, and a lot of, a lot of other factors, you know, a lot of bands they get in and they got in during the MySpace days or in, you know, early thousands and they can kind of still make residuals, but for newer bands, very competitive, very saturated, very difficult to turn a profit. And that's just because you're you're competing for all these people's attention and their attention spans are fucking nothing. I mean, how you can't expect them to have an attention span. Everything's fucking shown in your face all the time. Everything's a meme. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the one of the downsides. But um, so, but it was really refreshing to to hear some of these bands, and th- all three of those bands I just mentioned are crazy different. I mean, they're all very different within totally. these subgenres, and they're all fucking stellar musicians. So it's you know, I would encourage anybody that listens to Dance Gavin Dance or some of these legacy bands to go out and just try to check out some some local stuff. Some you know, check out your local bands, check out your regional bands. Um, yep. you know, just, just be, with an open mind, try to, try to listen to new stuff without comparing everything to fucking DGD. So, uh, well, yeah, uh, to, to venture into that a little bit, one cool thing that you got to do, um, last year was, uh, record on the Sacramento bridge mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. DGD. What was it? it did. This, this ventures more into like your personal experience, but True. dude, what was that like? Fucking amazing. <laughs> it was uh, it was amazing. It was fucking cold. Um, <laughs> well, for, for people... Yeah, it was like October, right? It was... So, for, for people who, who so are un, unaware, well, so what, is, what, is, what are we talking about? Oh. Okay, uh, so so Dance Gavin Dance, we did... Uh, Danny Wimmer, he does a lot of, like, big festivals. He's an awesome, awesome guy. I've met him a couple times. He basically kind of produced, so to speak. He, he facilitated this um, live stream during COVID. So it was right... It was before we could tour like in October yes September October last year and what we did was we shut down the like the Sacramento Bridge like the Tower Bridge in Sacramento um, and it's this huge if you've, if you've never been to Sacramento it's a giant bridge like in the it's kind of kind of by Old Town um, it's, it's basically in Old Town so there's like a hotel right there and there's a giant bridge and there's like a Joe's ca- Crab Shack right off the side and um, <laughs> Really, so we ended up filming the I, the Mutual Fear um, B roll with John right right before we were so it was like right at the same time we were doing Tree City so mm. um, or in, in right in the same area so we were like right up we, we rented out like a, a hotel uh, an Airbnb in that area but um, when we did Tower Bridge we we shut the bridge down and we went on and we we tracked it. Um, and we had to do a bunch of takes. I mean, in the, and it was five, we had the bridge rented for like for something like five hours, four or five hours, and we were staying at a hotel nearby. But we got all suited up and we went down there and we had to do like three, four takes of every song. And oh my oh, god, yeah. dude, it wow. was just it was real, real cold. Um, you know, as a guitar player, you're like, oh my god, my fucking <laughs> fingers. Yeah. You're um, <laughs> Your fingers are all numb, anyways. But like, oh yeah, dude. So we, you know, we were drinking up there and just having a good time, just trying to, you know, <laughs> stay sane. So we would be like, oh, is there vodka in this Gatorade? Okay, cool. Let's let's rock. Oh, um, <laughs> well, it and, was and yeah. I don't think we've mentioned it, but this was for Tree City Sessions 2.0, which is an album. Yes. You have it. Mm-hmm. I gave yeah, it to I you. It I gave vinyl. it. To, I gave it to Matt. Uh, he nice. has it on yeah. vinyl. It's um, yeah. It's it's like Dance Gavin dances greatest hits but they they perform them in more of a raw recorded format yeah it's like a, it's basically yeah like a live format and then and a lot i think the appeal for a lot of people with that and why people get the vinyl and and invest in it is um there's a songs from other singers there's not a lot of bands that that have three singers in their in their history that yeah. their current singer can go back and just rehash some of the other stuff like we there's a song that's a kind of a classic, kind of quintessential Johnny Craig era song that's called Blue Dream. Mm-hmm. And we were kicking around doing that one. We're like, yeah, we love the idea. It sounds awesome. And Tillian was like, let's pitch it up. Let's go Let's go two whole steps up. And we're like, okay, fuck it. Let's try it. And it, it turned out really cool. It was really unique and really, really interesting. Yeah, that was really cool. 
Tillian's voice is unbelievable. It's, it's so yeah, it's, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, <laughs> we, we did a... I'm really excited to hear people's response to the new DGD album that we're putting out um, this year. It's it, The vocals were really, really cool. So. I honestly didn't know if you were going to mention that, and I didn't want to say anything out of turn, but that is really exciting. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can you no, talk yeah, for about sure. that at all? Um, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I can't, even though I think this will probably come out before the album comes out, so I can't spec. I can't talk about like titles or um, dates or anything like that. Yeah. But we've everybody pretty much knows. Like everybody knows that we we worked on a new record. Everybody knows we have one coming out. So um, yeah, I can talk about pretty much anything there in terms of the recording process. You know what that looked like. Um, what was you know, the, the well, album that was, itself? Yeah, we were coming up into 2022 when you guys were working on it and then into 2022 a little bit were there still like there obviously were maybe like travel restrictions or any, were there any hiccups that were caused on the back end of that or no it was actually um it was actually great i mean there Good. were some hiccups caused on the back end of like when we were going to put it out so i think it's mm -hmm. fair to say we probably would have put it out a little sooner than it's going to come out if uh if Adele didn't buy all the fucking vinyl in the world, um, <laughs> fucking goddamn it, Adele! She needed it. It's selling. The album is selling. She, <laughs> she, she certainly did, dude. Fucking um, <laughs> yeah. So now vinyl is like a nine. It's like a nine to ten month wait. So you can submit. You can record an album, submit your masters, and it's like a fuck. It's like a ten month wait to get your vinyl printed. It's insane. Damn. Um, and that's gonna just gonna get worse because you got you know material shortages and all these different things. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a lot of cases where you might see a band go in the studio and their record doesn't come out for like a year because the vinyl's not getting printed. So did we um, did we expect this? Like not not the not the, the vinyl shortage? No, <laughs> not the vinyl. Yes, shortage. I I predicted it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, like did we did we predict? that vinyl was going to be such a hit again like no think no about i don't it. think anybody early, saw that like 2000s late 90s like do you think if i told somebody like yo you know it's going to come back vinyl records that people would like <laughs> just slap me upside the head i would have if you told me yeah, when yeah we first started hanging out that vinyl was going to come back i would have laughed at you yeah 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 you'd have been like <laughs> you just you just slapped him with your jewel case cd and been like this is the future of music <laughs> <laughs> And it cracks, you know, and you're like, oh. yeah, it cracks, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. I've got you know? music on a thumb drive now, man. I mean, <laughs> every we're going small. Every CD I ever bought <laughs> was cracked within a few days of me getting. I remember I, I went to I went to the bought, case. Yeah, 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 yeah that really case okay. would crack under any pressure. And I remember I bought uh, I bought a. Uh, Ooh, what did I? Buy? I bought a Drake record. Oh, nice. Take um, care. Nice, Tell me it was Take good. Care because I had the CD. No, the next one. Oh, uh, um, nothing, nothing was, was the same. same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <same time. laughs> oh, twinsies. Twinsies. <laughs> and I remember I like brought it out of the. I like walked out of the shop. Yeah. And dropped it. Wow. <laughs> and it shattered. Oh no. <laughs> anyway. No. Um. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I. I I think DGD did this. I don't know if, if Idola's done this. I haven't seen an Idola cassette tape, but I know FKA, er, yeah, FKA Twigs just released a, like a custom cassette tape. So even that's kind of like coming back. I got like a brand new, like brand new the band. I got a cassette tape from them one time. They they did some demo and they're like, here's a cassette tape because we're different, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we we did attempt to do cassettes 
one time like five or six years ago so this was even before it was like starting to become cool again yeah and we're like cassette sounds cool maybe we'll hop on that and we got fucking scammed dude we said we, what? i think we i mean this is early days man this is you know six Wait, probably six or seven money? yeah straight up we paid them like a couple hundred bucks and they just <laughs> just fucking did they, they just dipped <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Fuck this! I'm paying. I'm getting a manager. I'm paying somebody to fucking sort this out. <laughs> I ain't doing this shit anymore. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, I, my <laughs> dumb, dumb mistakes of your twenties, dude. So like, yo, I got the best idea to scam some money out of some <laughs> yeah cassettes out of some fucking no namers, dude. <laughs> oh my god, that's a scream. Wow. Um, uh, I don't." I don't want to like ask any questions that get too far into it, but like, uh, what for you this time around? I, I know that like, you're able to say, hey, you're an official member of DGD now, and um, you've been writing, though, with them for a long time. Uh, did anything feel different coming back into the studio as like a seasoned veteran of the writing process? Definitely, yeah. I think. The, the relationship with dance has been obviously kind of complicated just from the beginning. So uh, they originally took me out as like a touring guitar player. Um, it's a kind of a lengthy, you know, saga, but they, I went, the first time I went out with them was in 2015. And then I've been with them on every tour except for like one. And that was a, a three week European tour that a guy named Joey Ruben Rubenstein from uh, Icarus the Owl, he filled in on that one. But I've been with them on every tour except that since then. So it's been almost seven years of touring. And then I've done writing on songs like Chucky versus the giant tortoise deception. Um, I've, you know, done some co-writes with will on some of the singles like Headhunter, uh, guitar on artificial selection, vocals and backup vocals on artificial selection. I came in for afterburner with like a big feature and then, and then some more guitar collabs. And, um, I think with that, like we, with afterburner, they had offered me an initial contract during Afterburner. So it had been, you know, I'd been doing it for a few years. We'd kind of gotten to that point where it seemed like the natural thing to do. But that point in my life, like 2017 after Warped Tour 2018, was just really, really tough for me. I had a lot of deaths in the family. I had a lot of mental health issues that were really difficult. I ended up in like an inpatient treatment center for a suicide attempt. And they, when they gave me the offer... I basically said, I was like, I can't in good faith take this offer at this moment in time just because I'm dealing with this. I I need to get my mental health straight. I need to be a better contributing member to this band, this like legacy that you guys have built up. Can we can we just keep the touring agreement? We'll go back in, we'll do another record together once I get my fucking shit together. Like once I <laughs> once I can like go to go into therapy and, and get this stuff worked out and be in a better space to provide what you guys need can we then talk about you know maybe maybe doing a sign on and, and seeing what the future looks like and they they accommodated that really well and um once we went back in it was kind of this process of like okay well let's see you know what andrew's willing to do what he's what is he going to contribute what's going to happen and so mm -hmm. it, it ended up turning out really awesome there was a song that i wrote um so will and i co-wrote like the intro track of this new record. Oh, cool. And like the track tracks technically one and two, um, that like 
was awesome just to co-write with him. He'd saved this song. He's like, this is this is the one. This is the banger. I was like, okay, cool. And we just both went 150% on that song. It turned out great. And there's another song on there that I'm so proud of. And it's, um, I did, I wrote the song from scratch and wrote both the guitar parts, recorded both guitars, and it ended up becoming like a pretty, it's, um, I, I don't know if I can say exactly what it's going to be, but it's it is, it's, it's a prominent song. Let's say that. It, it's definitely going to be promoted as a prominent song, too. So wow. very stoked on that. And then vocally, it was a whole different level. I mean, I, they basically were like, okay, you know, John and Tillian are going to be here for a month. Do you want to come in and we do like 10 days, you know, 10, 11 days, just fly out. We'll collab on some stuff. We'll write some stuff. We'll have you track some stuff. And so I spent a couple weeks prior demoing some ideas. They were like, "Okay, this is cool. This is kind of this kind of sucks. This is you know, this is all right. Let's let's rework this." And then I this flew is out. Too wordy. And it was, this is too wordy. Yeah, I don't know. It just it felt really natural. It felt really right because, like, for me, since 2017, 2018, I like dove into fitness. I've been seeing a therapist every week. Um, I I like feel like I have a much stronger grasp on my on my life and my mental health and I'm in a much better place in, in all aspects of my life. And it's just, I'm grateful to still be here. I'm grateful to still be on that trajectory of growth and, and trying to work forward. And so that, that kind of compounded when we did vocals, it was like, okay, everybody's like on their A game, right? Like I've been, Mm -hmm. you know, like me, Tilly and John, we'd wake up in the morning, 8am, we go to the gym and then we start workshopping. You know, we start workshopping ideas in this Airbnb that we rented. And then Will ended up coming out for, about a week at the end too, which was awesome. And we, we just, it was really cool. It was really cool to be like in that environment collaborating and see how much, uh, how much we could do together, like mm-hmm. lyrically and melodically. And so there's, there's so many songs on this record that really, I think are, a, it's a new era in my opinion of dance Gavin dance where it's this big collaborative space where we still have other guitar players coming in. We still have other vocalists coming in. It's just like, you know, it's like, earth wind and fire modern modernized you know (laughs) you're just like like how do we get a 70s jam band together with a bunch of fucking weird hardcore musicians and (laughs) try try to make it work so um which i think has kind of always been will's vision for it to some extent so yeah uh yeah it was great i mean i loved recording with it and then that was further solidified on this last tour that we did um where we just we were all again we're trying to operate at 100 percent. so we'd go out there and just like bust ass every night and just make it make it awesome for the for the audiences and uh, really kind of push push ourselves to that next level so it was cool it's been awesome um since signing the contract we've done you know uh, some prep work for this new album that i'm really excited about some some photos and video stuff that we're we're really excited about so oh welcome back listener that was an amazing interview wasn't it So what's happening now, you might be asking yourself. Well, I'll explain it to you. Matt's computer, because he does so much amazing work on it, ran out of space during the interview. Of course, we didn't realize this till after the fact. So good old Kev here is going to be your guide, dubbing in between the answers that Andrew gave to us in what was a wonderful, heartfelt, and meaningful conversation. The next topic that we got into in the discussion was depression, artists with depression, and how Andrew has been working through that in his own life. 
I think it's it's a complex issue for a lot of people, and it can affect it can affect anyone at any time. I mean, you could be uh, you could have an incredible life or the worst life ever, and the way that mental health affects you, the way that you view yourself and, and your own worth. I mean, those things are impacted in so many different ways by so many different things. And so I think, you know, everyone's solution is going to be different. Uh, the way that they try to tackle it's going to be different. I would say for me, understanding like if I'm trying to build a house, and all I have is a hammer and nails and two by fours, I could probably make something. I don't know if it would be quite a functional house, right? I don't know if it's something that could be long-term viable where I, I take that analogy into my mental health too. And I say, okay, I don't think I'm going to tackle this with just one thing. You know, I don't think that self-medicating with drugs or, um, you know, or just, just finding a therapist or just changing your scenery or just going outside or just taking SSRIs. Like, I don't think that one thing is going to do that. And, and if you're one of the lucky ones and one thing just does it for you, great. I, I think that that's awesome. You've kind of found your solution, but I think everyone should, that's struggling with that. My recommendation just from my own perspective would be to try m multiple things, try things out and and try recommends from other trusted people in your life that know you um you know if, if you if you haven't gone and done talk therapy or seen a, a psychiatrist and you can find a way to do that i know it's expensive and it's hard for a lot of people but if you can you know build a team around you of friends or family some somebody who can help get you in that direction in that space i would highly recommend it i think therapy is a really great tool for me personally uh, fitness has been like a huge tool just in it, it could be anything I mean for me it's bodybuilding and, and weightlifting um, I'm horrible at cardio my wife will tell you that a million times um, and so my heart is not as strong as it could be but um, but you know it could be anything it could be taking your dog for a walk it could be you know um, you know yoga or a dance class or, or anything so I think that that helped me a lot um, I think that having like a creative outlet of some kind, whether even if you don't play an instrument, something that's like journaling, something that's, you know, writing or, um, you know, crafting or composing, doing something, right? Something creative, I think, has is, is been pretty viable for me in terms of uh, like intrusive thoughts, things like that. Um, and then, yeah, therapy. I would say like talk therapy. My talk therapist is, is awesome. Um, he's, he's been super duper helpful. I tried SSRIs. A couple of times and um, uh, SSRIs are like antidepressants it's like kind of the most commonly used antidepressants um, they're so like Zoloft would be an SSRI if you're on the if you're in the basement you're in the bottom level you're as low as you can go for me SSRIs were like a, an elevator that brought me back up to level one right where I could be like okay this gets my foundation under me where can I take this here um, how can I keep myself accountable? How can I how can I grow from this? And but SSRIs long term, when I found when I took I took Prozac, like I think it was 40, 40 migs or 60, 40 or 80 milligrams. Um, and that just over time just caused me some more problems than it helped. It caused me to be kind of emotionally stunted, very numb. And that just really wasn't wasn't getting to like the root of what my issue was at that point in time. So I think, yeah, so for me, like talk therapy, fitness, a creative outlet, I think is great. Having some type of support system is always really, really good. If you're like in a dark place and you need people to talk to, having some 
a close friend or a family member that you can reach out to is awesome. I know that's hard for a lot of people too. So it's just kind of finding, finding what works best for you. Some people love like video games and, um, you know, books. Some people love to read and just kind of get out and escape a little bit. And I think that that's, that's valuable too. So yeah, that, that would be my suggestion. Just like find multiple things that help you to, to deal with that because life is fucking hard, man. Life is, life is tough. Um, if I don't, if you can raw dog it, good for you, dude. I don't, if you can, you can do it without fucking supplements or drugs or alcohol or therapy or anything. Well, fuck, more power to you, but that's not me. So, Now, wasn't that a beautiful and wholesome take on depression and mental health? Uh, I, I personally think that Andrew's evolving approach to his own mental health and what he's learned about the human experience insofar as his personal experience and the interpretation thereof can be is a beautiful thing. Lightening the topic a little bit and getting more into what's on the horizon for Idola and Dance Gavin Dance, we asked Andrew what form his next tour would be taking. Would he be going back out on the road with Idola? Was he excited to be getting back out there? Would he maybe consider going on the road with Idola and Dance Gavin Dance and doing double shows again? Here's what he had to say. <sighs> No to the last question in terms of am I doing it again? Because I'm never fucking doing that again. That shit sucked. Um, I, I had a blast. I loved the tour. I had a really good time. My voice was a struggle um, at points because I had a vocal node that it was developing. And I filled in for Tillian for a few shows when, uh, when he had caught COVID. I filled in for John for a few shows when he was out sick. Um, so there were like probably five shows each where I was filling in for Tillian in his upper register and then filling in for John full screaming. And so my voice doing doing 90 to 100 minutes of music a night, I thought I had prepared myself for that. And and again, I even on tour, I, I try to work, I try to hit the gym like five, six days a week. It just, it's one of those things for me, it keeps me mentally focused. It keeps me away from those bad thoughts. So I go in, I'm able to, to feel healthy, to feel confident. And vocally, I mean, I was doing everything by the book, uh, everything my coaches had taught me, and it was still just, it was so much strain on my voice over time. And so that was a little bit, a little bit of a challenge. So if I ever do two sets again, um, I'm just going to be a little more creative on how I organize those sets and just continue to like try to get to a place where I could do that. But uh, the upcoming tours, so Idola will be touring. I can't tell you when, but I can tell you it'll be like exactly the month, but I can tell you it'll be in the fall, right? So DGD has a pretty packed schedule from now until then. And then with this new release, uh, after that, Idola will be, we have a very, very cool tour planned. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be in the fall um, and it'll be uh, essentially like a co-headline tour, which would be really cool. So um, I'm very excited for that. Very excited to play some new architect stuff that we haven't gotten the chance to do live. I'm really pumped about that. Um, in terms of the tour that's coming up, uh, I have two, two tours with dance that are coming up. So in uh, April, April 23rd, I believe is Swan Fest in Sacramento. That's kind of the kickoff. So Idola and dance will be both playing that. And then DGD basically embarks on like a B market headliner. So we're going out with Memphis Mayfire, 
um, Moon Tooth. Yeah, it's going to be uh, in volumes. So that's going to be a great tour. Coming to Albany, doing the whole thing. So it's going to be awesome. Um, and then we have a second tour, which is a support tour for Coheed and Cambria. Um, and that's going to be in July, August timeframe. So, um, which is just mind blowing to me. I, I grew up listening to Coheed and Cambria. I like, they're a huge reason why I even play guitar in the first place. So, um, really cool to, to go out there and, and support them on such a massive tour. We were supposed to play Madison square garden, which I was like shitting myself about. I was like, Oh fuck. Like, this is a monumental moment in my life. I could check that off my list and die a happy man. But unfortunately, that, that um, I think it was schedule conflict. We ended up, we're playing somewhere else in New York or, or New Jersey. But uh, one day, we'll get it. <laughs> one of these days. Exciting stuff, right? Right. See, although you're missing some of the friendly banter and the back and forth that we have on the podcast, I'm kind of leaning into this like e-Hollywood reporter approach to the podcast itself. I've done a little bit of editing. I've done a little bit of chopping. Here I am sipping on some tea, eating fresh berries. This is kind of a relaxed approach to getting it out there in a succinct and organized format. The next thing that we talk about with Andrew is his trip to Greece with his wife. They're actually there right now as of me recording this, and you can tell by uh, just the way that he talks. He's super excited to get out there with her. They're both excited to go on tours and see what's going on there. Uh, here's what he had to say about it. Andrew, tell us what you're gonna get up to in Greece. Tons of shit, dude, I'm pumped. I've never been, I've been, yes, that's where we fly into. So we, I'm actually really excited because I've, I've been to the UK uh, a couple times. I've been to Amsterdam. I've been to Germany, um, but I've never been. I've been to Paris, but I've never been to Greece. And it's always been like kind of, you know, like for me and my wife, it's Italy and Greece were like top of the list for a long time. And um, when we got this trip booked, I was like, yeah, let's go two weeks. Let's go all out. Let's make it really cool. And, and we, we just collaborated and got everything planned for it. And uh, we fly into Athens. We're there for two weeks, and essentially, what we're going to do is we're just going to f- go spend a day, spend two days in Athens. When we get there, we we'll see the see Acropolis and like all of the historical stuff. Go to do the museums. And then we're going to fly down to I think it's M- Milos. Um, it's like a, a southern island. We're just going to basically fly down and then hop up the islands all the way back to Greece. So we're going to go to Mykonos, Santor- Santorini. Um, so we're going to do like wine and cheese tour. We're going to do some like parasailing just a bunch of shit we're just gonna go all out i don't even care dude i'm just i'm just gonna ball out because i'm gonna be on tour pretty much i'm gonna be away from home pretty much the rest of the year at that point between studio time for idola um these tours and, and everything i'm really only gonna be home for a week or two in between each of these stints so um so we're just making the most of it and then we're ending the trip at this like resort that's by the monasteries just north of greece so there are these like old like christian monasteries up um north of north of greece uh that are just like absolutely beautiful dude i kevin i'll I'll send you a photo from of like where my hotel's supposed to be where the resort is it's i just mind-blowing i looked at it i took one look i was like book (laughs) if i can what three of $300 $300 a night? I don't care, dude. Fucking like put it on put it on Rise Records, dude. <laughs> now, I'll admit that 
Matt's computer running out of space and me having to edit the podcast like this has saved you all about 10 minutes in this next segment of Andrew and I going back and forth about lifting routines, bodybuilding, and what it's like to outgrow your clothes as a grown man. Um, but I know that there's a lot of fans out there who are really entertained by and interested in Andrew's approach to fitness and uh, some of the goals he set for himself and how he's been getting there. But here's Andrew talking specifically about outgrowing clothes, a good fitness routine, and his approach to it. Yeah, so that was that became a problem for me in the last couple of years. I ended up going from like the last four years, I went from a media like a men's medium to like a two X, um, where like I can I like an XL I prefer because I can show off the guns, but a double X is technically what fits better. So um, I even ran into problems like our wardrobe. Uh, her name's Shayna. She comes out to like the DGD shoots. She's awesome to work with. She's great. Um, she brought clothes for everybody for these video shoots. And, you know, the, the last time that I'd really talked to her was like a few years ago. So she was like, oh, he's he's Tilly in size. He's he'll be fine. Oh, my God, dude. We, we they had I, I about like ripped through two different suits full full blown. Like I put the jacket on and like the back seam started to rip. And I was like, that's going to be a fucking no for me, dude. Um, no, he's a no, not at all. He's probably like six two, you know, six one, six two. I mean, he's he's actually for his he's got good genetics, especially in his arms, where his tri his triceps are just blow out all the time, which is cool. But he he'll usually hover between like one, like one sixty five to like one eighty, one eighty five, um, which is for him is great. You know, he likes to have the abs. For me, I got I got real hard into bodybuilding. I was like, I got to get to two forty. Let's fucking go. So. <laughs> so that for me has been been awesome i'm trying to find a healthier balance with it though where i'm you know like trying this cut out dude carb depletion is rocking my boat right now it's uh not fun i am yeah so i'm trying to do like a little bit of hit cardio like just keep my heart rate above like 80 percent of my of my heart rate max for like a minute or two and then kind of jog and um just to get that that deficit yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you know, throw on a, a you know stair stepper or like an incline um, treadmill or, or a, you know go biking. So I am trying to get better at that for sure. Um, and then changing my lifting program. Usually I'm on a six day split, so usually I'm on a bodybuilding like a push pull legs, push pull legs, and I'll I'll f I tend to favor one muscle group. So like if I have a push day on Monday, I'll do chest and tricep, chest and triceps, but chest is the favorable. And then if I do push day on Thursday, it just switches. So I'll favor triceps and hit the chest and, you know, throw shoulders in. But lately, um, you know, I'm still keeping a similar split, but instead of going, you know, six days on, I'm just going five days on two days of recovery, high volume, high repetition. So that it's just like all the small twitch muscle fiber gets blown out. Um, and then, just, but just the dieting is crazy, man. It's like when I when I'm on a bulk and I'm rolling up to the gym with like you know two muffins in my hand and like fucking some cupcakes, some gummy bears. I'm like, okay, I just ate four thousand calories. Time to bench three forty. Um, it's like it, it's no problem. But the last week or so, just trying to get shredded for this grease trip was, oh man, the 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 carb depletion and caloric deficit is rocking my boat i went in for chest day this morning i was like oh my god dude this is 
it's, it's tough. All right, so the computer running out of space has also saved you another like couple minutes of Andrew and I broing out about the weight room and what it's like to be lifting and all that dumb stuff. But we did make sure to ask him what his journey's been like to kind of elaborate upon that for some fans who we know are always asking about it. And if he had some tips for people who wanted to engage in, you know, gaining a little bit of size and strength while also maintaining a level of wellness. Take it away, Andrew. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was always a real skinny guy. I mean, you know me since I was like, since I was like a buck 50, right? A buck 60 back in 2015, 2016, very small. Um, and that's just for me, like when I was growing up, I hated, I hated exercise, man. I really didn't like it. I'd rather just like play guitar all day. And then I ate what I wanted because my metabolism just was, was whatever. Um, so I would only eat when I was hungry. And so for me, just being a guy who's six six three six four um it was you know that just wasn't that was eating at a deficit at all times like i I, there was a good couple years where i had to force feed myself to get up and i would plateau every 10 pounds so it'd be like okay i'm starting at a buck 55 i plateau at 165 plateau at 175 185 and so i just i kept grinding for years and so during like 2017 2018 i was probably around 185 one 90 and so it was like okay this guy's got a little bit of muscle he's still on the lean kind of the skinny side but he's he's got a, a you know a build going and then i got really serious about it like over covid like just just right before covid i started like really getting serious and i became a personal trainer and really started to to learn as much as i could about the body and how i could push it and that's when i really started to see some major results which would be like okay now i'm in the 220 to 240 245 range now i'm like a big guy like people be like oh dad that's a that's a big dude that dude's taking up two seats on the airplane that dude's you know got got some got some presence and so um you know when you go at live shows you know when people were like oh what the fuck dude this guy's massive um it's cool to to be able to to get to that point and i've still got a lot of work to do i think anyone that bodybuilds is always going to have something they want to work on so uh if i had three tips if you're trying to get into fitness in general whether that's like bodybuilding um losing weight uh, having healthier cardio just maintenance and being fit i think that for me like the three recommends would be consistency Right. So like developing consistency, proper consistency, making sure that you're going in. It doesn't have to be the exact same time every day, but trying to get a routine going to where you like it. Because I think a lot of people struggle is like they go to the gym one time with their friends and they're like, that was fucking dumb. Like <laughs> I, I did not have fun. I'm winded. I'm hungry. I'm tired. And then, you know, they they fall off and then maybe they go again the next week and then they fall off again. So consistency, I think, is key where you can develop a routine, you get in consistently at least a couple, you know, two or three times a week. Go for 30 to 45 minutes a few times a week to start and just say, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go and I'm going to make the goal to feel better, right? And so you do stuff that will make you feel better. So do, do a little bit on the treadmill, do a little bit of light weight lifting. And then when you find things that you really enjoy, latch onto those things and make them consistent. Build a routine out of it, right? So consistency is number one. I would say... If you're looking for results, diet is absolutely number two. So consistency with your routine and then diet is, I can't, 
people overstate it all the time, but it's because it's so true and it's so frustrating. You could be on the perfect workout plan and not see any results because your diet is trash. Um, and that's, that's just the unfortunate reality. It's like what you're putting in your body. And there's a lot more leeway than people will stay, will say, like, I don't think fad diets work pretty much ever. Like one of the most scientifically con- consistent, you know, working theories that, that anyone in fitness uses is if you're at a caloric surplus, you're going to gain. If you're at a caloric deficit, you're going to lose. And everything else in between is just like, you know, micromanaging your, your macros. So I would say getting a good diet going and that just that can be whatever works for you i think you can bodybuild like arnold and a couple other guys did like a vegan bodybuilder documentary um where they talk about how you can you can still have size and protein intake with an all vegan diet so if that's what you're after it's possible i think just looking into it you know utilizing trainers or people in your life that know something about nutrition it's always always good and then lastly i would say give yourself a break, like give yourself a rest. I feel like a lot of guys, a lot of people, when they get into fitness, they go really hard and they're like, I'm going to work seven days a week. And it's like, you're going to fucking burn out and then you're going to be off for six months and then you're going to lose everything that you tried to, to accomplish. Right. So like, make sure that you're resting. And part of that rest, I would say in my purview would be being kind to yourself, like not being so obsessed with this goal that you become dysmorphic. I think that that a lot of people, and I've struggled with that myself, like looking at pictures of me in the past being like, Oh, I'm still really skinny. And it's like, no, bro, you're not skinny, dude. You got, you're fucking, uh, you need to just like take a step back and chill. Cause if you have an unhealthy relationship with it, it can cause you some other problems. It's just like anything, anything that you get that, you, that becomes an addiction, right? If you get addicted to the dopamine of it or, uh, whatever component, it's like, that you have to run that line where if it starts to bleed into your personal life or you know your goals and things like that it can be unhealthy right you could take fitness to an unhealthy level which i i I don't recommend (laughs) so okay this next part i'm including just for shits and giggles and for anybody who was wondering why oh why in 2019 were there so many meet and greet photos of dance gavin dance in tracksuits with their fans I was, dude, that was my, that was my trap. Yeah, that was my trap. I fucking, I will say, I will mention this exclusively on this podcast. I fucking started that trend out of pure laziness. Um, I fucking, I went, I was hella depressed. I got out there, I got San Francisco, bought a, a, a pair of Adidas tracksuit joggers. I still have them to this day. And I started wearing those. I, yeah, I started wearing those and then everybody else started buying Adidas tracksuit pants and then we started getting the shirts. And by the end of the tour, it was like, <laughs> there's there's so many fucking, just, just I, I can't even fathom how many meet and greet photos there are where there's some random assortment of us in tracksuits. It's <laughs> All right, this next part is when we were asking Andrew what he was jamming. We always do a segment on our podcast called What's Your Jam? where we talk about what we were jamming. I forget what Matt and I were listening to that week. So what I'm going to say is Matt was probably listening to that turnover band that he loves so much or like Mac DeMarco or Phoebe Bridges. He, he, Matt, is, he's, he's a chill dude when he's listening to music like 99% of the time now. He's really got this like lo-fi dad vibe going about his entire lifestyle. And I was probably listening to something completely the opposite, like, I don't know, Darko US or something. Um, um, 
So yeah, here's what Andrew had to say, which is, you know, a nice little soundbite for anybody who's looking forward to new Idola material. Dude, um, what have I been jamming this week? Honestly, not much. I've been working and grinding on the new Idola record, um, just like nonstop. So that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yet to be released. Yeah, so it's uh, it's been really cool. We've just been collaborating. We had Sergio out here for like a writing session not too long ago and got some really good ideas. And um, yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be really really cool. So other than that, um, not much. But it's about to be those audio books you send me. I'm gonna be grinding on those. And that's it. That's the end of the podcast. There's really not that much else that we talked about. Um, so all in all, you know, not a huge mistake, Matt. You shouldn't be kicking yourself too bad. But uh, I, I know that Matt actually, he got paid out for a lot of those projects that he was working on that ended up overloading his computer and taking up too much space. So he's actually upgrading it right now and probably won't run into that issue again, which means I no longer have to be the tech department for the Upstate Coffee Collective. I just want to thank everybody for listening. I hope that you enjoyed every bit of this podcast. You know, maybe not me dubbing as much as the rest of it, but, you know, we do what we can when we can. Have a great week, everybody. Here's some outro music and Andrew saying goodbye. Cool. I think that's great. I love it. Awesome, fellas. Yep, likewise. Yeah, you guys too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yep. Latest. Have a good one.